0: Found us again at Educational Leadership on the Go, and I'll tell you what, I'm really excited about episode five, having tough conversations. This is one that we've wanted to attack since the inception of our podcast, so I think uh, all of us were excited to get a chance to uh, work with having tough conversations, and i uh, you know, having tough conversations obviously isn't uh, just in the education realm, right? This happens all over the place. And, and as we've uh, you, we've had a great response, we're having a lot of listeners and even talking to people that aren't in the education realm uh, that are finding these uh, really interesting and getting a lot from them. So we're, we're glad to hear that. And I know uh, kicking on that topic Having tough conversations, obviously, is happening all around us. Um, in, this, in this episode five, we do use an article, the kind of basis of our discussion, um, and if you want to look up and read that whole article, its name is Four Things to Do Before Tough Conversations. It's by Joseph Graney, and uh, it was in the Harvard B- Business Review earlier this year. Uh, I'll give credit to Dr. Pat Schwabe, my assistant principal at Merrimack Heights, passed this along. Uh, and it was a great read. Uh, and, and speaking of that, most of the things that we've used on here have been passed along to us by somebody. Um, we've had people reach out to us, and we encourage those listeners to reach out at leadonthego at the go at gmail.com provide us interesting topics you might want to hear more about articles you've come across uh, because we really are doing this not only for our learning but for others around so let's uh, let's communicate and create that PLC. Really excited in episode 5 to tackle this with our co-host here, Dr. Ryan Looning and dr. Jamie Wellborn and of course my name is dr. Dustin Bain. Uh, all of us in leadership roles, in the school system, uh, myself at the elementary level, Dr. Ryan Looning at the secondary, and Dr. Jamie Wilmore at the post-secondary. Um, we always are wanting to interact on Twitter or uh, just out there. Uh, if you run into us, if you're local, uh, you can hit me up at Twitter at educate underscore Bain, at educate underscore Bain, B-A-I-N. You can hit Dr. Ryan Looning at at Loon 15, L-U-H-N 15, L-U-H-N 15, and Dr. Jamie Wellborn at Wellborn, W-E-L-B-O-R-N, underscore Jamie. Um, And let me tell you something, Jamie Wellborn is about as talented and as great as it gets. Uh, Ryan and I are just happy to ride her coattails. Uh, Every time... I interact with her. It's just amazing the wealth of knowledge she has. So, she has so many different things going in the realm of education, cultural proficiency, and diversity within schools. Hit her up if you have questions or uh, want um, some information from her. I want to get you right to the conversation. It was a a very well-tempo conversation. A lot of great things that came out. I was really excited at the end. Uh, Actually, Jamie had to phone this one in and it actually worked, so we were pretty proud of ourselves for being amateurs at this. So Episode 5, Having Tough Conversations, Sit Back, Relax, and Enjoy. Hopefully, you get something from this, and remember, you got to subscribe on iTunes to keep this show on the road. Subscribe on iTunes, Educational Leadership on the Go, tweet it, retweet, send it out. Let's build that listenership and that big PLC. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Thank you for listening. Conversations. Uh, I use the word tough conversations as it is uh, used in the article that we're going to reference. Uh, I've heard... All kinds of different words, deep conversation. It doesn't matter what you really want to call it. Um, I like tough because uh, I think they're tough to have. And when we say tough conversations, we're we're referencing those conversations in the workplace uh, that can make us feel uncomfortable as leaders. Uh, We know as leaders that we got to take charge of what's going on and we're responsible for what's going on. Uh, today, we are going to use the article, Four Things to Do Before a Tough Conversation. as sort of a guide as we go through. This article is written by Joseph Graney, Grinney and was published in the Harvard Business Review. Um, I know we have some listeners that uh, aren't necessarily into education, and this should be right up your alley because this is not based on uh, how you prepare for educational tough conversations. Tough conversations are, are are that across the board. So I'm excited to jump in. Uh, I hope this is timely because we do know in the educational realm, we are coming up on summative season. So we know that we're going to be sitting down with teachers and hopefully having a lot of positive conversations. But we do know that part of our responsibility is to help teachers uh, and support teachers through times when they need a little bit of support in their practice, uh, and so we hope that our listeners get something from this, and those that maybe aren't in the educational field get something from this as well. So I'm excited. I think this is going to be a good one that can go universal and get it out there. So as always, joined by Dr. Ryan Looning, assistant principal at Clayton High School here in St. Louis, Missouri, and Dr. Jamie Wellborn, uh, who is at her home tonight, so she's phoning in, and this is the first time we've done it. So. Uh, I think we got it down and we'll just kind of give it a go. So we appreciate making time uh, for this and bringing it to you. So let's jump right in. Tough conversations. Um, And I kind of wrote when we we discussed this, kind of throwing it out there. When I say tough conversations, what are some of the initial thoughts, Ryan, that come to your mind? Um, Just kind of briefly, what are some things that you first think of when I say tough conversations?
1: uh the first thing i think about dustin is uh that that knot in your stomach that you know is uh going to be there because you have to sit down with someone um usually one on one about a a problem that they're having with their performance and uh it's it's not a you know it's not going to be a pleasant conversation so that knot just sits right in your stomach and you think about it often, you have trouble sleeping beforehand. But uh, when you talk about having that difficult, tough conversation and the, the ones I'm thinking about are when we're um, on the verge of having to uh, remove somebody from their position. Um, that's that's really what goes through my mind. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm going to come
0: back and touch on something. I'm glad you started with that. Jamie, what kind of goes through your mind when we, we say that tough conversations?
2: So I think the first thought right when you ask that question is, nerves. And I think nerves really uh, relate to that conflict that could occur when you have to have those difficult conversations. Um, And so I, I just think about as as I went through these and as I continue to go through these as a leader, I think you get better at doing them because, you know, you learn some things early in your career of, of uh, what didn't go so well and you reflect and think about ways that uh, you may help people advance their careers and, and really help the overall organization. So I do think about nerves. I know I do a lot of um, thinking uh, in terms of leading up to those conversations. So those two things, really.
0: So both of you, I think, hit on things that make us what I'd like to call human. <laughs> I know sometimes as administrators, it's, it, we can be put in that position where it's, we're the heartless ones and, and as leaders that you feel like on an island. But I know the three of us, relationships are important, right? And so it's really tough when you have a relationship with everybody to have these conversations. So actually, I think people listening to this should be refreshed if maybe they're not in that role yet, that it's natural to be somewhat scared and uncomfortable. And then we'll talk about that. And and I think that leads right into the article and both of you guys uh hit that and Jamie you're so right I think we can all remember maybe our first time and how much better we are at it as you do it more and and how prepared and, and like you said, thinking and, and gathering that. So in the article, and as we use these articles, we're not, you know, we're using it as a basis and you guys can always go find them. And I think it's good to have a guidance, but you know, in the article, the author Joseph jumps right into this, right? And so he talks about how he starts thinking about the guy's livelihood that he has to talk to and his family and he's the breadwinner and all that kind of information. So for you guys, I know you're human, so you think about that. How do you block that out or how do you handle that when you're preparing to have a tough conversation? How do you handle knowing that this is not just a number or or an object? This is a person that's family is relying on this.
1: Yeah, the the big thing that I see is... We know in our business that it's about the students. It's about our kids. And if someone's performance is affecting our students' ability to be as successful as we hope they would be, um, that's a problem. And that's the easy thing for me to do is to totally block out the fact that, you know what, I have a good relationship with this person. I know their family. I know it's not going to be easy to find another job. I respect that, but if their performance is affecting the ability of our kids to learn, we we have to move from them. Mm-hmm. Jamie,
2: well, I just I want to add to that that the relationship piece is so important, and it, and that's why it's good to have uh, I guess good relationships w- with all of your employees and, and relationships that are meaningful. So that way, when you get do get to these difficult conversations that you already have a background, but um, just being in the work of culture proficiency and and knowing that we all come from various walks of life and and different experiences um, that really have shaped our views. I think one thing um, that I learned really early on about having these difficult conversations is you have to be a good listener. Um, And, you know, just as Ryan says, we're in this business because of kids, and and that should be our number one focus. Like, that's our our motive, which I know we're probably going to talk about here in a little bit. Um, So we have to keep that at the forefront of our decisions, of our conversations. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, and I forgot who... Who said this? I think it was uh, one of our superintendents in Rockwood said you have to leave people with their dignity at the end of the conversation, no matter what the outcome is. Uh, it's all about that dignity, which that relationship really can help uh, with that piece.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you're having those conversations to Jamie and Dustin, you know, I wonder because. Part of me going into the conversation, I feel like I failed. Um, If I'm the supervisor and I'm removing somebody, uh, you know, we've talked about feedback and the principal's role uh, conversation that we had previously. Um, Evidently, I didn't do a real good job, and, and I go into the conversation wondering, man, I should have done this, I could have done that, could have done these things. But in the end, I know that if they're effect, if they're not affecting kids' lives, then then I have to move from them. But I wondered if you guys kind of feel the same way as you go into these conversations.
0: You know, I do. I, I because I I feel like one of the part of the one of the pieces that's important when you're doing evaluations is to always have those follow up meetings and those constructive. Um, conversations and to be continuing to have those con- constructive conversations as you're going along. So I do agree. there is a part of that of what could I have done more? And I've actually had you know uh, in different realms, you know people have to put your you in check and go like, look, you've done what you, you can at times. So it's good to have those colleagues. Um, And whether you're the head principal and and the assistant having those conversations about what you have done. And I think that's when we start talking about some of the things that puts us at ease. I think for me personally, listening to the the two of you talk and talking about that personal side, I think that's an important thing to acknowledge. But I also, like they did in the article, most of the time – we didn't put ourselves in this position. It was because of either that will or skill or, or whatever it is. And so, you know, also let's be honest and let's be real for a second. It's my, it's in my job description. So what happens if I don't want to have these tough conversations or this is intimidating, then guess what? Guess who's going to be getting a tough conversation? <laughs> Me. And that's, so, yeah. you know, and so that's, that's an important piece here is that we were hired to be put in this position because they trusted that we could do this. Um, and so we don't want to put ourselves in a position where we're not doing our job and, and then the tables are turned. Um, so I'm kind of kind of moving on from that. The article, and I'm going to jump right into that if you guys are all right, unless you got something to add. No, but, let's go. Um, you know, the article talks about having four things that you need to do before you have a tough conversation. And so let's walk through those four, and, and you guys can kind of add yours and, and story-wise as we go through. But the first one is get your motives right. I like this one. Um, you know, in education, our motive should be what is best for kids. It's not cliche. It's, it's the truth. Um, and so one of the things it talks about is not being vengeful, vengeful not uh, having ill intent. Um, but getting our mind right of why we're doing what we're doing, which I think we've kind of talked about at this point. Um, you know, what, and then I, I like this question What do I want to be the outcome of this conversation? And that makes me think of begin with the end in mind. So, what is it at the end of the day I want the conversation to end up looking like? Um. No, and that's,
1: a, Dustin, that is so perfect because that is what we do in, in, in our in our work. We evaluate and we want the teachers to, when they're creating a lesson, to begin with the end in mind. What's the objective? What's the goal? And when we're planning a PD session or we are uh, looking at curriculum, we want to know what the end game is, right? So the goal of this conversation, and, and I think the ones that we're truly talking about, is we're going to fire someone. So the goal is how, how do we get through this with the person Still having their dignity, still having respect for you and the organization. Um, Those are the hard part. Those are going to be the hard parts of the conversation. Which I know there's some other points that we'll get into, but you better have that goal. And again, it's there's a lot of different ways to get to that goal, but having a plan is probably the most important part. And I know we're going to get into that in just a moment.
2: So as I reflect back on some of the difficult conversations that I've had, so this article really asks one question, which is the question you just ask: what, what do I really want at the end of this? And in, in this article, it breaks down that question into four different levels, and it makes me think maybe I wasn't planning for the conversations as well as I thought I was. Um, so those four levels, uh, for our listeners out there, it's uh, what do I really want for me um, what do I want for the other person what do I want for the relationship that's already there and then what do I want for our stakeholders and in education that can be a whole host of different people um, number one being our students but from there there's there's parents there's uh, our school district as an organization there's other teachers uh, you name it so really looking and planning and Thinking deeply about what do we really want the outcome to be, I think is crucial.
0: You know, that, that, that was awesome. Thank you, Jamie, for adding that. And I'm going to add real quick, you know, we're talking about kind of uh, the end of the year summative type thing. But I'll, I'll tell you an experience I had with a teacher, and this was years ago, was um, it was towards the beginning of the year. And I was concerned about the lack of learning taking place. So in what when I walked in at the beginning of the year, my motivation and my motives were not necessarily the same that they might be at the end. My motivation was to bring to light what's going on. So I remember planting myself in the room for 45 minutes, and I just took notes the entire time. And I know the teacher thought she was getting evaluated, but you know what I did is when she came in to talk about it, I said, I did not use this as an evaluation. So right then... She wasn't worried about the number. She wasn't worried. I had her attention on, I was there to observe learning. And so we had a very deep conversation, very emotional. But my motive at that time was to bring the light and, and make her realize what was going on in the room and that there had to be a change in that. So that motive can be different at different times of the year. Um, as I And I think that's an, an important piece uh, to that as well. So after we get our motives right, why we're doing what we're doing, this is a tough one, and we kind of hit on it. Get your emotions right. Get yourself in check. Um, we have to put our emotions and in, in how I kind of describe it is kind of freeze them um, because you can't go in angry. You can't go in scared. You can't go in hurt or defensive. You really have to have an open mind and be willing to listen. You know, uh, my HR director, Dr. Brock, I've, I've been in some conversations with her, and I, I think she does such a great job of this. She's very calm. Uh, she does this all the time, obviously, but I've just learned a lot about she takes a lot of notes, and I think that's her mechanism to not continue engage with somebody. Uh, and keeps her emotions under control. I know this is something, you know, just uh, we always want to be vulnerable. This is tough for me because I'm passionate about what I do, and and you can get defensive. What about you guys? How do
1: you keep those emotions in check, or what kind of jumped out to you in this piece? Well, the first thing that I really thought about when we're talking about emotions is it will be an emotional conversation, and we we know whether it's with our significant others, our children, um, when students who push the right button Um, when you're upset you don't uh, speak clearly you don't use the language that you would like to use so you really have to go into the conversation knowing that it could get emotional and find different ways to, to contain that Um, the, the, the best thing I find myself doing is especially if the person across from me starts getting upset or starts raising their voice, um, we all know this, this is a, you know, whether you're in our business or the true business world, um, you, you should work on being quieter and kind of being softer with your tone as, as they get louder Um, trying to de-escalate the situation. You can still say the same words. It's about your tone. It's about your uh, body language. Those nonverbal cues can be as important as actually the message that's going out through these conversations. So making sure that uh, you're recognizing the other person's emotions usually helps me control mine
2: yeah I found myself in some difficult conversations taking a break right in the middle of that, and I don't mean take a break and get up and you know go get some coffee, but I mean just taking time for the conversation to kind of quiet itself and um you know let let the person talk um, and, and kind of get some of that out. Uh, I know that uh, I pull out tissues more often than not um, just to make sure that we know that, or they know that we're respecting them as, as a, a person and we really do care and that they, they do need that time to respond emotionally because these conversations, um, and Glenn Singleton's work on courageous conversations, he talks about, you're going to respond in these, um, in these conversations in four different areas and emotional, that feeling what's in your heart is going to be there for you, but it's also going to be there for the, for the other person as well. And so just giving that time, for the other one to respond emotionally as well. And, and, and I like what you're saying, Ryan, about really matching that. We, we, we learned that, uh, raising children, um, we, you know, I don't it's do best that very well if, though, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, but we learned that it, it's best if, if you're matched in terms of tone or, or, um, you know, loudness or whatever. So, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, the emotional part also is they should be emotional if they're really fighting for their their position or what they feel is, is strong. So it's kind of counteractive too. Uh, if we if we match that, it just it can lose focus. Um, and I, I, I'm the first to tell you know I, I like sharing that I, I'm not perfect because that I've I've grown in so many different ways. And I can remember one of the first times that. Uh, I handled a job target situation, <laughs> and if you had a video in the room, it would have been. It, it was. I would make a st- and It was back and forth, and you know what? At the end, I felt like I had gone ten rounds, and it. And it, I don't know that it accomplished anything. Now I will tell you. It, 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 I I say that, but it did. I mean, the the person just made. A complete 180 turn, but it, it did, At the time, I didn't feel satisfied because I let the emotions get the best of me and started kind of getting into a one-up type of situation. And you got to keep yourself in check uh, and make sure that we are listening, probably more than uh, necessarily responding and talking. So we've gone. Get your motives right. Get your emotions right. Gather the facts. Um, this is a lot of work. Um, let's let's call it what it is. Um, and if you're gathering facts, you' it's easier if you do it along the way, than wait until that last minute um, before we get there. Um, you know, naturally, you're gonna sit across from the table from somebody that probably doesn't necessarily agree. And so having those facts readily available, and I think the word fact, don't take that lightly. Let's not get into he said she said facts. These have to be things that are real, that are tangible, that are measurable, so that we can we can have uh, some concrete evidence. So, what type of g- fact gathering or things come to mind when you when you think about getting the facts?
1: Uh, the the big thing that comes to my mind, Dustin, is in these conversations, you are gonna the, the person across from you is going to. Um, many times try to deflect, try to talk about um, someone else's performance or the reasons why this isn't working. And um, kind of a mentor of mine told me one time before one of these conversations, um, he said, you know, they're going to try to, you know, talk about the shiny objects and get you away from truly what's happening. They want you to look over here at this shiny object, look over there at this shiny object. And you know what? Some of it is, you know, as a, you're a human being and you listen to them, they have some sound reasoning on some of their things. Your goal, in, in, the goal in the conversation is to terminate the person. So you've got to reach that goal by getting back to the facts, by, by bringing them away from the shiny objects The he said, she said, the, this person does this, that person does that, um, you allow this, you allow that. We're not talking about those things. We're, we're talking about these issues. These are the facts of the hand. This is why we're here. Um, it's unfortunate for all of us, but at this moment, this is what we have to focus on.
2: Yeah so I've learned a lot from my my current mentor actually in this and it's exactly what you're saying Ryan you know at the end of the day but we can we can go back and forth and and talk about well he said this and and this person said the opposite thing um but at, at the end of the day it's it's all about change and if we go back to our motive of the students um, we have to speak the truth. Um, and that, that's one of the four agreements of courageous conversations is you always speak the truth. Uh, it's important to acknowledge that that truth may present more conflict. Um, and you just have to, you know, you have to work through that and, and move through the discomfort. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, something has to change. And so, um, I, you know, I think it's, it's our job to gather those facts. And sometimes we don't have a lot of time. Sometimes we're talking about, uh, minutes or, you know, if we're lucky hours in a day to, to make those changes in certain circumstances.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing that, uh, the author Joseph Grinney points out that I thought was really interesting. And I just, by happenstance, not too long ago did this and I felt like it was a really powerful thing. Um, you know, as a year goes on and we have kind of reoccurring issues, I, I'm not always the best at documenting things, but I know what we're doing, right? And so this person, or uh, Joseph Greeny, says, don't start with the conclusion. Present the facts to make the conclusion a natural product. You know, if you're giving a job target, don't walk in and say, you're getting a job target for this. You haven't even told them why yet. What should I think happen? You should build facts and build the information so that when you're done it's almost a foregone conclusion right so i thought that and and that just happened not too long ago my assistant principal and i were dealing with the situation and i sat down in my computer and i started typing about what we had done in a certain situation since the day uh, this happened this started i started i ended with a page and a half and when i got done with the page and a half i thought well this is gonna be pretty simple i'm gonna walk in and i'm gonna read this page and a half because at that point it becomes clear. I think what happens is in the grind of the day we lose sight of the support we have received until we get those facts down on paper and we can see oh there really has been that there that that's why I think those facts are important is they have to see oh we have because we forget about that and naturally we're going to cling to what wasn't done right. Um, so at their gathering facts, I like this last one of the four. Get curious. Um, bring a blend of confidence and curiosity um, to the conversation and uh, I always say you know this confidence is bred through preparation and doing the homework so that kind of leads into the facts but this was an interesting one kind of a curveball but it kind of reiterates the the top three but when getting curious be a listener and some of the most important things come through listening I know we've talked about that but is there anything you kind of want to add to the the curious piece to this
1: and yeah, the, the only thing I really think about is uh you know it, the article really talks about being a great listener and and sometimes in this kind of situation you need to you need to be a good questioner too and maybe it is you know what do you think about the facts that you know we, we I just laid out for you and it's interesting then to hear their conversa- you know hear their conversation hear their side of things and a lot of times when you've laid out a a very compelling case the person kind of is like yeah I can't disagree with anything you've said there i i, I don't want to uh, have this conversation because i want to be back here tomorrow but you, you've laid out a pretty you know uh understanding case and and there's not much they can say about it when you've done your prep work so so being able to listen and kind of you know add some questions to them try to clarify or paraphrase some of the things they're saying um shows you're listening shows you have empathy for the situation that's going on um again the outcome of this is 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 not going to be pleasant um in my situation, uh, after the conversation's over, I've had people who've shaken my hand, given me a hug. I've had people who've got up, slammed their hands on the the, the table, and left. Um, I've had—you're going to hear from my lawyer. You, you, you get the gambit of all of it. Um, the the goal, though, is that you know the the motive and thinking about the end in mind is the most important thing. And regardless how it ends, it it's going to end. So you know whether it's pleasant, whether it's amicable. It is what it is, so uh, it, it kind of sucks. But I, I get the the I get that uh, the listening part of it is so important, and, and just being a good human being, a good person.
2: So this one really spoke to me, and I, I think many of us probably have gone into these situations thinking, "Okay, we're going to have one on the right side of the table and one on the left side of the table at the end of this." But the uh, the part that spoke to me was about having the humility to be interested in in maybe gathering more facts even within that meeting uh, to help improve the conclusion. And so, um, it, you know, it may be that, and, and this is where the, the hugs and the handshakes come from, I think, Ryan, is, is improving that conclusion or allowing them to add to the story. Um, but this goes back to those first questions, I think, that I was asking at the end of the day. Um, what do we want for everybody? And if um and I have to tell this side story. I was in, in Florida this past uh weekend. <laughs> And we were at this restaurant, and I experienced something I never experienced before in a restaurant. And my family and I go out to eat all the time. But a difficult conversation needed to be had with a certain table that was in this restaurant. And uh, we watched as the manager kind of bounced around the restaurant and didn't end up acknowledging. And five tables sat down and got back up. Um, because of how uh, loud this table was being. And so at the end of the day, they lost five tables business instead of um, having the difficult conversation with the one table. So if you think about that in relation to our our students in the school or the teachers that are working day in and day out for us, if we ignore that one, how many others are we losing? And and whether that's a a test score or a, a really great teacher, what are we risking if we don't step up and have the the difficult conversation?
0: Yeah, I couldn't put it better, and you know what that made me think of was uh Todd Whitaker in his book uh, what great principals do differently he talks about how you gotta let your superstars know they're superstars because they will be the first ones to jump ship when you don't take care of the ones that aren't doing their job so i think that was a great point and uh it's true you know and and maybe that manager realizes that and it's scary especially in a place like that where you're already dealing with a loud person and it could get even more but get think about the respect you gain Uh, when you do that or don't do that you know the get curious too let's not lose sight again we're having tough conversations all the time so i go back to talking to teachers at the beginning of the year that's when probably this is even more important right i'm i still got a whole year to get through even if i know it may not work out i still got kids so i need to ask probably even more questions i need to get curious and listen to what I can do to support. And that also is part of it, too. If, they, if they're telling me what I can do to support them and then I don't, that's going to make my facts at the end of the year a lot harder to uh, operate through. So I think that get curious uh, can go in a lot of different directions. So just to kind of recap those, uh, and, and again, if you're looking for the article, The Four Things to Do Before a Tough Conversation, I talked about getting your motives right, get your emotions in check, gather the facts, and get curious. Um, you know, Dr. Looning and I spent a year in uh, Leadership Academy, and we had a great um, uh, speaker come in, Dr. Suzanne Bright. And I'm actually getting ready to use this formula, and I'll tell you, I've used this formula multiple times. Uh, and I, it was funny because it's kind of that note you have in your in your Google folder. And it was funny; I, I sent the text, and Dr. Looning knew exactly what it was and had it. So it's obviously impactful on us, but. It, what it is for the listeners is when you're getting ready to go in and have that tough conversation, one of the things Dr. Bright talked about is you know, you need to get right to it. Cut the awkwardness and, and get right to it. But she had created, and I think she had kind of gotten it for a book, but a script. And there's basically uh, six to seven um, steps and then eight in total. But basically what you do is you write it out. Uh, and I've done this, and and it's it's very
1: powerful. I've done it as well. Yeah, it?
0: and so. Um the first thing you do is you name the issue. So, for example, when you walk in, you would say, um, you know, right now we're going to have a conversation about the X um, the going on in your classroom, you know, the behavior management going on in your classroom right now. It's really become a uh, disturbing issue to the learning. And so you don't even stop because then the next one you go to a specific example. So one is name the issue. Then after you make that statement, you go right into here was a specific example, then you start talking. number three is describe the emotions. So that, that can sound kind of, but, you know, this makes me upset because we have students in the room that aren't learning, you know, so you start describing the emotions of the leader, of what you see in the classroom. Then you, number four, clarify what is at stake. This is really powerful. What's at stake a lot of times in an educational classroom is what's at stake is the learning of 25 kids. And um, that, that's that's at stake. If you're not in the education realm, maybe it's business. Maybe it's the production. Maybe it's everybody on the team's production. Um, identify And then number five, identify your contribution. So as a leader, what have you done uh, to support this teacher? Number six, indicate your wish to resolve. I think this is important for those times where you are looking for a resolution. Indicate that you want to. And I think that makes that person feel better. And then the last one invite a response. Um, It's kind of hard to depict over the airwaves, but honestly, I've done this very recently before I've walked in is I literally type out verbatim what I'm going to say and I read it because it allows me to convey a simple and non-interrupted message and sets a tone for the meeting that is already, again, kind of going back up there, it has got my motive out there I've got my emotions under control, I've provided facts, and I've invited a response, so I'm going to be curious. So if you go back and you look at the four things from the article, it does those all in one open response. Uh, Ryan, if you want to talk about maybe how you've used it or
1: uh, in the past? Yeah, I've, uh, I've used it directly myself to, to employees, and, and like you, Dustin, I, I write it out. I don't read it word for word, but I get my uh, script and, and really kind of, I have my plan going into to how I'm going to hit each step. Um, I also uh, did a little PD session with our leadership team this summer with with that protocol. Um, it was. It was very successful. I would advise you know for uh, our listeners, um, people to uh, take a look at uh, Dr. Bright's work. It uh, it has helped our group. You know, you, you have you teach them what these things are. You show them how to use it, and then you do some role playing. And um, the feedback I got was, wow, you know, it, it it's tough having these type of conversations, but I felt prepared going into it based on these protocols. So uh, that's how I've used it. Um, I think it's successful. Again, the more planning you 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 have going. Into it, the facts you've gathered, knowing that the motive is 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 going to be a a tough conversation. That's probably going to remove someone. It's uh, it's good. It's really good stuff. The last thing I'd add to to this whole conversation, though, Dustin, is uh, you mentioned documentation earlier, and that we're not always the best documenters of things. And uh, you know, I think as 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 leaders, as educators, we have to be better at the documentation of things. As uh, my HR. Uh, soup tells me, if, if you didn't document, it didn't happen, Ryan. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I challenge everyone to create a system, you know, especially when you know that... Uh, there, there could be some uh, future concerns with an employee to make sure that you're documenting all the things and, and making sure they know you're documenting and having those conversations on the front end and giving them opportunities to improve, giving them the feedback they need to, to, to be more successful to help the kids. That, that's the goal of this. The goal is never to remove anyone on the front end. But uh, once you get to that point, um, these strategies that we talked about today, I think, are, uh, are things that can help.
0: Jamie, do you have anything you want to kind of add to uh, just openness and closing your your thoughts on tough conversations in general?
2: Yeah, so I, I haven't, I'm not familiar with uh, Dr. Bright's work, uh, but it completely makes sense, and I'm kind of a linear person like that, um, so I like that idea. I would uh, like to I'll have to talk to the producer of the show, I guess, but, uh, you know, something that we didn't bring up, we talked a lot about, you know, just talking to teachers about practices in the classroom and everything, Um, but I'd like to bring up the point about having difficult conversations around um, differences, really, and whether that's differences with our kids or differences between us and a teacher, so we're talking race, we're talking ability, disability, Um, we're talking about age, we're talking about nationality, language ability, all of these things really come into a school and present uh, administrators and even teachers with Uh, the need for a difficult conversation. And so again, I want to put a plug in there, you know, Glenn Singleton developed this courageous conversation specifically to have conversations around race. And uh, if we're talking about the, the achievement gap and and the opportunity gaps uh, especially here in the St. Louis area, uh, we need to be, we need to be looking at Glenn Singleton's work. And so I would encourage us to, to further this, you know, as a, a sister or brother, uh, podcast later on. for uh, no, conversation.
1: Jamie, I'd, I'd add add directly onto that. Uh, you know, it's really interesting in in, in places I've been and conversations we have. Uh when when that stuff stuff pops up, I go back to like the shiny object conversation. You, know, you bring up the um, the, the 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 achievement gap, you know, all of a sudden, well, it's not it's not in our building. It's you know, it's at this one, or you know, it's it's just that kid. It's not these kids. It's you know, it, the, the shiny objects start coming out. We try to place blame elsewhere. We try to move everything around. Um, we we don't truly want to have the crucial conversation that we all need to have. And I find it very interesting. I I think we could go on and on about that. And I, I know I, I I know I have a lot to learn from you in in that subject. And I look forward to reading Singleton's work.
2: Yeah, you know, and this is where this is where teachers can help each other out because there's sometimes where it's it's the teachers that need to have difficult conversations with their peers. You know, not even having the you know administrator or building leader involved. And you know, I I think I think this be a good conversation later on uh, in another podcast.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. You you mentioned something that kind of caught my attention there at the end is you know that formula that we talked about that we had learned uh, through Dr. Bright. In in any of this, we because we sit in the positions we do currently or have have more experience with having those tough conversations around the job in general. But you know, on a micro area there of within a school, what about PLCs? Who do you work? I mean, you're spending eight hours a day with these teammates. I know there's some tension there at times. And how many times as teachers do they come to you as principals and whatnot? And and that's fine. And, and, and we, But it means more coming from each other. So I would even encourage the teachers out there um, that are having problems within their PLC, or maybe they're working with that special education teacher and they're not on the same page. You know, it really means a lot coming from you as opposed to making the principal the middleman. And if that needs to happen, it happens. But, you know, you could use this formula for that as well. Um, and so I think that outside of even our realm and our mindset, this could be used in so many uh, different arenas. Um, and so I, I thank Dr. Looning and Dr. Wellborn today for uh, uh, making some time. I know this time of year schedules are tight, and it's funny. I think all of us are uh, in a time frame where our kids are at um, PSR or something to do with church, and so we're trying to, to, to squeeze that in. I think this was a great conversation. Um, I think this is something that is relevant 365 days of the year. I think it's something that the first thing we talked about is it's scary. Um, and it should be natural to be nervous and scary and in uh, all those things. And I think, you know why I think that's important? That means you care. That means you have a relationship. That means you want what's best and you feel guilty to a certain extent. That means you have feelings. And I, and one of the things that kind of gets to me is when you see power-hungry people that want to kind of have this conflict and conversation, you're not in it for the right reason. You're in it because you like the power and you like to do – no. When, you, when this still makes you sick to your stomach, you kind of know that's when you're still doing it for the right reasons because, um, like you said, Ryan, I thought you brought something up earlier. You, you have guilt that you didn't, weren't able to get them there or whatnot. Um, And you still can maybe through these conversations. So uh, I I really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed the time we took today. Um, I enjoy that we're having great listenership. Um, We are getting a lot of listens. And uh, pass it along. Please, please, please subscribe and pass it along on iTunes, Educational Leadership on the go. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, hopefully you uh, gained some information from this. And again, the article is Four Things to Do Before a Tough Conversation by Joseph Grinney. Uh, It was published in the Harvard Business Review. Uh, We will see you next time on Educational Leadership on the Go.